Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Open the pod bay doors now. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm afraid I can't do that. Go ahead, make my day. Hello everyone, and welcome to a brand new edition of the Black Hole Podcast. And much like the current trend in Hollywood, it's time for a gritty reboot. <laughs> As you might have noticed, um, this isn't the sultry tones of Tony Black. It is actually Matt Latham. You might have recognised me from a few guest appearances previously. The idea being is that Tony's going to take a step backwards um, to soothe his ego and have guest hosts to host the podcast changing every so often. I resent the fact that apparently I have an ego. <laughs> Meanwhile, so on the black hole... <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, we have Tony Black. Um, Hello. You'll have a few of the same things you usually do, usually have. Um, reviews of movies, a few opinion pieces, um, there'll be an interview down the line somewhere in this this edition. With us, um, live from another part of the country, which I forgot to ask, is Dan Taylor. Say hello, Dan. Hello. How you doing, Matt? I'm fine, thank you. You okay? Yeah, not too bad. I'm from Devon, in case anyone's want to come visit me anytime soon. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll come to Devon. It's a nice country yeah. down there. It's nice. Yeah. It is? Yeah. yeah. Which part of Devon, Dan, are you from? Uh, Mid-Devon. Mid-Devon. I'm about half an hour away from Exeter. So. Oh, nice. Okay. That's quite good. We, we should say for the purposes of people who you know don't know that we're, we're currently in Wolverhampton. In, Wolverhampton. In the West Midlands. Um, and we're both in the same place. Yes. So even though Matt does live only like 20 minutes up the road, really. So we, we're yammers, um, mm. as they say. We're not going to pretend we've got some facade that we're in a studio together somewhere. <laughs> yes, forget that. that facade, admitting, it, it, it is. The, virtual, the virtual studio of the internet. <laughs> anyway, come, as well as interview, we're going to have a few reviews of films that we've all seen during the week. Um, coming up, we'll have Tony speaking about Birdman. That, was, that wasn't a bird, was it? That was a chicken. No. <laughs> <laughs> not sure what that was. Yeah, I haven't been in it. Yeah. And we're going to have... Um, t- Tony will also be reviewing Taken 3. 
we're going to have Dan, um, who's seen who's seen Unbroken this week, and we're going to wrap it up with myself and Tony talking about the theory of everything, which we've just finished watching about an hour, an hour ago. Roughly, about an hour ago, yeah. yeah, yeah. about mm. an hour ago. Mm. So, we've raced back to mine to do a podcast, aren't we? Dedicated. Yeah, mm. like the comic gig book guy. On the Simpsons. <laughs> exactly like that guy. <laughs> Just in two people. So, okay. So let's move. So, being the master of ceremonies that I am, we're going to cook. I'm going to go and have a look at Birdman. How did we end up here? This place is horrible. It smells like balls. We had it all. You were a movie star, remember? Who was this guy? He used to be Birdman. I like that poster. You wrote this adaptation? I did, yeah. And you're directing and starring in your I, adaptation. That's yeah. ambitious. Are you afraid people will say you're doing this play to battle the impression that you're a washed-up comic strip character? Absolutely not. That's why 20 years ago I said no to Birdman 4. Hold the mask off! You do have the mask Now you're about to destroy what's left of your career. We should have done that reality show they offered us. Shut up. You know I'm right. Birdman, for those who don't know, is a film about um, a washed up actor who, about 20 years beforehand, basically made his name playing a superhero called Birdman. 20 years down the line, he's been trying to shake off the typecasting for all that time and tries to start open his own play on Broadway. The actor, main actor played by Michael Keaton, so there's a bit of meta in it already, since the whole Batman mm-hmm. facade, and it just kind of deals with his like personal life and critical, everything that you might expect. Yeah. If, if Michael Keaton was suddenly going to go and do a Broadway show, then you'd probably expect him to mm. be faced with. So, take it away. Well, I, th- I, think, I think this is... I mean, we've both seen this, Dan, haven't we? I think that the great thing about Birdman is that it it very much plays on a few different things. You know, the, the biggest thing is that it's it's a take on the superhero genre for a start that's never been seen before because it's it's kind of deconstructing the myth, I think, of superhero genres. It's, it's deconstructing the myth of the man behind the mask. Mm. And, he, and obviously the fact it's Michael Keaton just adds this extra layer of depth to it because, of course, as we know, Michael Keaton played Batman 20 years ago, so he's been through this whole thing of having to live with playing an iconic character for you know for, for decades and never quite escaping the shadow of that which which they all don't and even in the film that there is actual references to the Avengers now you know the current superheroes like Robert Downey Jr and and all I think he gets a name check in fact and this this whole idea that it wouldn't take much for those guys to become Birdman and in in essence what happens is that Michael Keaton's character called Riggan John Riggan Thompson I think his name is he starts to actually hear Birdman in his head and that's that's the whole thing he hears the deep voice of Birdman as his id telling him you're useless why are you here what have you done to get here is that quite a good approximation that's that? actually very good thank you <laughs> yeah what are you you're an idiot what are you doing how do we get here and he, he hears that a lot as he's as he's staging this play which is basically his he's seeing this as his artistic comeback this is he's, he's taking a Raymond, Raymond Carver play from from years ago and it's this very kitchen sink drama and he, he to him it means something this is his his reason his point you know this is his dramatic overcoming of, of all the crap that he's associated with and the irony is that what he's looking for is fame and adoration but not as Birdman 
and he will be seen in the street, you know, and he'll get lots of like people take pictures with him, and they'll retweet them famously on on, on social media, which is which his daughter, played by Emma Stone. Oh, lovely Emma Stone. <laughs> she she is very aware of that, and you know, the fame he wants isn't what he's got already. And the brilliance of Birdman is that it actually deconstructs the myth of of fame in many ways, and, and what it kind of means, and how destructive it is. Well, it's um, not just Keaton though, is it? Obviously, you know, Norton played Hulk. Mm. Um, and Emma Stone obviously was in Spider-Man so there's mm. quite a lot of comic book actors in it as it were so mm. you, yeah, I think you're definitely right it's not just Keaton it's, it's you know a number of them um, have dabbled in that genre and so it's more true I think than just if it had been played by anybody mm. yeah and, and, and Edward Norton actually he, I mean Michael Keaton is he's outstanding throughout this I, I'm, I'm, I don't yeah. know if you agree Dan but he is I, I think I think Norton is as well I think oh, yeah. the, the two of them were, in, were incredible and in fact I almost convinced Norton is that person <laughs> <laughs> I can't see him anything other than being a dickhead because you know some of the stories you hear about Edward Norton mm. uh, being it's a bit of a diva it, mm. that's kind of exactly how I imagined to be but, that, but that's the thing maybe maybe that's the persona that, that we think of Edward Norton and, and he's mm, aware yeah. of that I mean this, this to me because he plays essentially a character who is the lovey he's the guy mm, who yeah. is fated on stage he's in a way he's the guy who, who Riggan wants to be and yeah. he, he's frustrated by the man because he, he comes in he, brilliant scene where he, he basically is, he's found by Naomi Watts who's um, sleeping with him and she's one of his leading actress and she's quite good actually in a, quite an mm, underwritten yeah. part and she, she brings him in because they, the, the actor they were going to have um, isn't there and, and he basically comes on and he starts telling Riggan how to direct and how to act and he, and he, and he does it better and then yeah. he begins to get his ego consumes everything and it's it starts to actually become a bit of a it's all part there's lots of little different character pieces going on in this and mm. lots of different little points and I'll get to the camera work of how that works because that's very important to Birdman as well but it, it, one of the big things is dynamic between them is reflective of what Riggan wants to be and mm. what Mike, who is Edward Norton, he is. And and the, the whole thing of like you say, that Edward Norton is possibly this guy in real life, I think he know he's knowing of that. And mm. I think he's trying to send that up a little bit. And whether it's true or not, you know. But, but speaking about that scene, as you said, when he first comes in and you know, he literally just plays the script straight away. I was actually watching it with a friend. We we did A level drama together and it was just like in that moment we were just nodding, going, Yeah, that's exactly what it's like. You sometimes you get somebody to come in that is so brilliant they can just take it to another level yeah. and that's exactly what his character does in that scene he just comes in and just you know completely transforms um, Riggan's view of what it's going to be like and he, you know, at first obviously he's a bit apprehensive about it but mm. then as soon as he sees how well they actually work together it's a shame we don't get to see too much of that because from that point onwards they're pretty much at loggerheads but mm. um, yeah no, I think it's very true of of you know, theatre making, you know, it's a good reflection of, of what it is like. It is, and it, and it, that's the other thing that the film does, in that it kind of draws that that parallel between theatre and Hollywood. And, and it, it's interesting, mm. because the director, whose name you can pronounce very well, Matt, I believe, can't you? What, what's the director's name? Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Alandra. 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 Alex. <laughs> <laughs> it's the third part of his surname. I wouldn't even know how to attempt. Alejandro Gonzalez Iriatitu. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Now, in fairness, I, I'm laughing at you, but I probably will say it wrong as well. In my head, it's Alejandro Gonzalez Inaritu. 
That's, yeah. But I could be wrong. I'm, I'm being a clever dick. But it's quite funny that well, I asked him this earlier and he just went Alex in the end because he couldn't get anywhere else. <laughs> but in OE2, basically, the way it comes at it is it's almost like he's sending up He's having a pot shot Hollywood, even though he's working within the system, and that, yeah. that's what that's what I find interesting because the whole conceit of Birdman is that you know Birdman is this you know Hollywood schlock. You know, there were three Birdman films; they made a billion dollars, right? Probably not quite as critically good as Batman, you know, but they made a fortune of money, but they weren't brilliant. But everyone loves him as as Birdman, and this this idea that Inaritu is playing with the idea of Do you know, another one, yeah, yeah basically, and it, it, it's. He's working against Hollywood within the Hollywood system, which I think is really, really interesting, and that and that's why he. I mean, he he's well known that he he got a lot of notes from the studio about how you film, how he was to film Birdman. Now, Birdman obviously is filmed in a very, very unique way. It has about probably about fifteen cuts throughout the entire film, although it's. It, it would like you to think it's seamless that it's one yeah, it, it does feel seamless it, it was, does feel seamless and some of the criticisms that I've seen have been a bit unfair in going well it's not seamless it's 15 cuts now it, it, mm. it, it is but there are transitions and cuts but it, it, it looks like it's one take and the, yeah. you, the camera just follows each character around and it's it's it, it's seamless between the different characters so is it, is it, does it take place in real time? more or less mm, yeah I think the cuts are, are, are where we get the uh the time jumps, isn't it? Yeah. It, just, it almost it moves through a scene into another scene. Into another scene. Uh, and the, the time jumps are what? I mean, it takes place over a couple of days, doesn't it, really? Mm, so it's, yeah. it's not much, really. And you get well, the it's, it's from the first preview, isn't it? Up yeah. until the uh, last preview. Yeah. So I, I guess it just takes over place pretty much over the course of a week, probably. Roughly, yeah. Building up to the, uh, the, the, the opening night. And all through this week, he's been increasingly psychologically destroyed but the, 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 the interesting thing about it though there's an ambiguity with Birdman as to whether because all the way through he seems to have the powers of Birdman as well you know he's levitating yes. he's, 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 he's getting pieces of objects and swooping them so they come into his hand mm. and on the one hand it, 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 it seems to suggest that it's all in his head and that he's having a psychological breakdown but there are also little moments and little hints that there might be something else to this. And yeah. I don't know if you picked up on that, Dan. Especially, well, in fact, especially I, the last I, shot yeah. without it's ruining anything. The, the last shot yes. suggests yeah. something else, which is really yeah. interesting. The, um, it, it's, it's stuff like the, you know, the light bulbs. How I can't imagine how he would smash those in the way they were smashed, and they mm. do stay smashed for when his uh, his attorney, isn't it? I think he plays mm. uh, Zach Galifianakis. You know the the aftermath of, of what he's done, regardless of whether he's done it with his fists or with his, you know, Birdman powers, mm. I can't think how he would smash those light bulbs with his fists in the way that mm. you... It, it is a question. There are there are some real ambiguities to it, and that's what he's playing with. He's playing with the idea of reality. He's playing with the idea of, 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 of what we see, and, and he's, he's weaving it into this really brilliant tale about... The, na- the self-destructive nature of Hollywood and the self-destructive nature of the actor itself yeah. and, and the roles that you play. I mean, there's this brilliant scene where he, he confronts the um, a, a really savaging theatre critic played by Lindsay Duncan, who's obviously a really good British brilliant. actress. Yeah. And there's that, she's fantastic. And there's this really electric scene between the two of them where she just he, she tells him exactly what he thinks of her and vice versa. And, he, and it, mm-hmm. it sums the whole concept up, really, in many ways. So would you, so would you recommend this... To people to no, I think it's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it was? Do you think it was ever so slightly too long? I didn't necessarily feel that. I, I can I can see maybe why. I don't know. It, it went fairly quick for me. Did you feel that? I, I thought it was definitely seamless, and I it's I think for me it's more 
I, I wasn't completely happy with the ending. I would have rather it ended five or ten minutes before the you know the other big moment and kind of you know if he wants to leave it ambiguous, you know, does he live mm-hmm. or does he die or whatever? He could have done that moment five or ten minutes before during the is it the opening night or is it the final preview? I, I think remember. I think it's the final preview. Yeah, yeah, um, I think that so. moment they could quite. I think I just personally, I kind of felt like they could have ended it there and left mm. it up to us about you know what mm. happens to him. I thought the end, you know, what we did get at the ending, while it did make me smile, I thought it was unnecessary slightly. I can I can see that point, yeah. But um, overall, you'd say you still recommend people watching. Oh yeah, I, yeah. it's one I highly recommended this week. Okay. Um, Absolutely, that's brilliant. Possibly yeah. the best film of the week. Film, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that was Birdman. He's on general release now, and it probably still will be until next week. I imagine. Um, I'm going to see if I can try and get it. Try and watch it. I would recommend that. Try and get it. Um, so we're going to take a bit of break of the reviews for a second because our our reporter in the same virtual studio as we stand, <laughs> he's going to um, speak about a couple of news stories. We'll speak about the BAFTAs in a bit, but three news stories that jumped out to me were as follows. The first one was in reference to uh, the fact that uh, the US DVD release of Pride seemed to remove all references to or sexual orientation of the characters and <laughs> kind of like to basically sell it more as a British film. But you've got, I guess, I, there's two ways to read into it, really, whether or not they purposely did or whether they were just trying to promote the Britishness of the film more because basically the cover which they basically just used the original poster which was used Mm. in uh, cinemas around the country they just used that image and they've just adjusted it slightly making Big Ben more prominent Um, and the word gay is quite clearly still on the t-shirts it's just they removed the banner which talks about the gays for uh, gays for the Welsh miners or uh, whatever's on the actual banner they've also um, removed um, the actual blurb on the back of the DVD case it mentions I think I can't remember the exact language off the top of my head but on the UK region 2 version it says yep. it's like gay slash lesbian um, yes. rights activists um, it just cuts out the word gay slash lesbian rights activists in the back yes. so it just says British activists yeah. so it doesn't actually reveal on the US packaging no what they're actually after being activists for so, yeah, I, I think that was that was more of the issue for me was that they did just take that take that phrase out, which I think was unnecessary. It would I don't think it would necessarily put people the, off with it. The, the state, I think the statement. I think Mark Mowbray tweeted a statement that was from the marketing of the US, saying that they're trying to market mm. it to as many people as possible yeah. in the US, try and get them to watch it. And apparently, the gay the gay lesbian aspect of the cover yeah. was actually detrimental to smarting in America yeah. which it's, is an interesting it is weird I mean you know if, if you're going to keep references to gay on the on some of the t-shirts and, and you know I mean the, the, the essential idea of the story it's all about that I mean that, yes. that's that's the that's the main irony of it the, your pride itself the film is about this it's like in a way it could be it could be detrimental to sales because if they're going to take mm-hmm. away the main point of, of promoting it you know what it's it's a strange, but it, it's it's typical of like marketing in that they seem mm. to zero in on the wrong things half the time. Yeah, you know. And yeah. One thing I, that... I, I think they were, I think they thought they were being savvy by promoting the Britishness of it, but I think, as you said, the whole point is that it's it's about 
you know, it starts off about gay pride and then goes into obviously the, you know, the mining uh, topics as well and about these two unlikely groups coming together to mm. do something positive and it's the whole point of the story you know if, if someone is and there are people out there that just won't watch it for that very reason but they're gonna they're gonna be a bit pissed off if they get 10 minutes in to find that we're in a gay club yeah it's weird that that's presumably the only reason they're trying to basically trick people who are homophobic into buying yeah. a film <laughs> that's all about gays yeah. and then going oh this is about gays damn it Right, well, if you're dumb enough to not know that the story of yeah. Pride is not about is about gays, then you, you yeah. shouldn't really be watching films in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I would say the American Pride has the same reason nowadays. You've yeah. got two prides: the, yeah. the, the, you know, the sin, as it were, one of the seven deadly sins, and then the other one is it stands for gay. You, you know, gay right. pride marches, etc. So, I, I think that you know definition is the same over in the states as well. Yeah, you'd imagine. Mm. Okay, so if we move on, moving on to the second news story of the week. Yeah, the uh, second one is about Russell Crowe's controversial ah. uh, statement. Um, however, is it the media twisting his words? That's debatable. Basically, he suggests that older, act- older actresses should act their age and basically play roles that are more representative of who they are and how old they are. Um, however, I believe his original statement actually didn't mention the word actresses at all I believe he said actors but I think they picked out the word female and decided to run that as a story which you know what that's typical typical journalism these days well the thing is what you know I mean what's his ultimate point really I mean I, I I'm not sure I, I you know I'm not sure that he should be heckled completely for this because I think what he's maybe what he's trying to get at is that you know there are enough young actors out there now to mm-hmm, play yeah. roles that are you know for you know, people who are in their 30s. Whereas there aren't particularly that many really, really good roles for actors who are, you know, are of, of a certain age, especially women. I mean, this is one thing yes. that, gets, that gets banded about a lot when you're talking about Hollywood and about films. You you know, there are, there are actually, like, say, Helen Mirren, who's now in her 60s, you know, and, mm. or Judy Walters, um, your mate, Matt, because Matt met Judy Walters the other week, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's... You know, those are amazing actresses who, who don't necessarily always get leading roles now because of their age. Mm. Whereas, you know, at the same time, does does a Meryl Streep say, does she need to be playing somebody who is supposed to be in their thirties? I, I I don't know. I don't necessarily mm. know if he's being sexist. I don't necessarily think he's being sexist. I don't think he was being sexist. No. I think, in fact, he was trying to do the opposite. I think he was trying to say. You know there aren't enough you know roles for women of, of, yeah. of this age, but there are actresses out there that are capable of doing it. Right. They shouldn't have to, you know, de-age themselves by twenty years or not mm. have any work. You know, we've got, we've got countless you know actresses of that age nowadays: Meryl Streep, Helen Mirren, Judi Dench, Susan Sarandon, and mm. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, you know the list goes on, and they're it's all nice. doing great jobs at doing what they do. But they don't always get the parts, you know, no. and, and then they might be saddled in playing parts that you think, well, you know. Uh, but I would argue that he you know, he played Noah last year, and I wouldn't say Noah was fifty mm. when you know when he built the ark, etc. Oh, I don't know, I'm a bit rusty on my uh, Christianity. But that's if he did, of <laughs> <laughs> course, that's a different he did it story. All. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, that, that, that one seems it's you know it seems odd coming from him. Seems yeah. I would say he's probably guilty of, of playing younger. Yeah, uh, you don't see him taking on you know. Um, mm. The kind of roles that, for example, Tommy Lee Jones takes on, yeah, uh, you know, about, about older men. Mm. Um, I'd say he very much still plays that kind of thirty, 
Yeah. Old, old man. He should really barely say it now by playing roles more his age. So mm. Yeah, he really should go in and do a film about retirement. Yes, <laughs> yes about working for Saga. There's <laughs> not a lot of Russell Crowe's out there that are playing roles suited for their age. Mm. True. There needs to be more Russell Crowe's to be able to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, please, no. <laughs> <Once enough. laughs> yeah. And then, so if we should move on to the next news story. Yeah, the next one is uh, it's apparently been reported uh, by the Hollywood Reporter that North American cinema attendance hit an all time low, um, well, a 20 year low last year in 2014, at 1.26 billion box office numbers were the lowest in the US and Canada since 1995, which was recorded at 1.21 billion. What came out in 96 to change that? <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> I'm just yeah. Yeah. Independence Day. Yeah. That was 96. <laughs> yes, it was, yeah. Um, was, was, was Titanic 96? No, Titanic was 97. Seven, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's a bit like, it's a bit saying, saying that when we are, we've just hit possibly the biggest year for cinema in within the last 10 years and probably for another 10 years. You know, we've got endless, massive blockbuster um, films out this year. I, th- I think they're I, going to take stupid money. I'd be very surprised if Star Wars doesn't break the all-time record. They'll have to come up with a new number. It may do, yeah. I mean, I think the the whole point of this is that they're, what they're forgetting is is the different ways you can stream media now. I mean, yeah. you know, the yeah. interview. I mean, obviously, you know, the whole Sony thing is is a, uh, a podcast in itself. But the the, in, yeah. the whole reason of of the interview being video on demand is because of the Sony problem. But that's already made like thirty odd million. And it's yeah. only been out like two weeks. Now that came yeah. out. That didn't come out in, in many cinemas. He got he got a certain release, but it's not been released over here in, the, in well, like it should have been. It's not mm. gone international, you know. And, and most people, the majority of people, will have downloaded that now. So it's a yeah. combination of you know BitTorrent and all these things. Putlocker, for instance. We, I mean, we mm. one of our fr- best friends uses Putlocker all the time, doesn't he? Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, we we were saying, do you want to come and see Dumb and Dumber two with us a few weeks ago? And he said, oh, I've already seen it. You know, I'm put like I showed it to my school yeah. children at work, allegedly. which allegedly, right? Yeah. Um, we're not going to name him, so it's fine. Um, Frank said. Uh, Frank said. Uh, <laughs> Abraham said. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The thing. The thing is, the, the the material that was out last year was not particularly strong. In fact, the I can't even believe it. It is, but the highest grossing film last year worldwide was Transformers. Well, oh, that doesn't surprise me because people are brainwashed into thinking that yeah, they should see decent. these things. Um, but <laughs> um, lucky, luckily, in this country, we've got more taste. The Lego Movie topped our chart. So. Yeah, well, yeah, thank, thankfully. And before so, before we move on to the uh, next review, um, we're going to have a little word about the Baptists. Now, that, have they just been released? The nominations, or yeah, they were released. Um, I think they were released on Friday. Obviously, I, I wouldn't say there were particularly any surprises in the best film category. The one we just reviewed, Birdman, has been nominated alongside the Grand Best Hotel, which I believe you reviewed this time last year, probably. Mm, roughly, yeah, and yeah. I glowing. Yeah. Imitation Game, mm. uh, which obviously was the uh, film starring Benny Cumberbatch, The Theory of Everything, which we'll hear about later, and the one for me, which uh, I think the most obscure of the bunch um, but the one I think that's the favourite at the moment which is um, Richard Leach's Boyhood yeah. which I saw last year and thought was fantastic um, I don't think there's any surprises in that category was there any that been missed out do you think? Well um, the big one that has been talked about and the big factor with this that has caused some consternation is the lack of British films you know? yes. um, and, and this, is, this has been a big point 
the, the difficulty is it's, it has been a very it may not have been a very critically strong um, uh, box office strong year but critically yeah. 2014 was exceptional in many ways yeah. it had some ex- really really good movies a lot mm. of which are coming out at the, at the start of 2015 or at the very tail end ready for Oscar season but yeah. the, there have been some British releases the chief one was Mr Turner which is Mike Lee's um, that's been totally you know, I don't think it's been nominated at all is it not at all no and no. Timothy Spall um, I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but Timothy Spall is supposed to be phenomenal in that role, and, and mm, it's yeah. it's an interesting, it's the biopic of of the painter Turner, and it's something that Mike Lee's been working on for a decade or more, and and for it to be snubbed at the Baftas, I mean, you can understand it a bit more at the Oscars because they, you know, they it's the Oscars, but at the Baftas, yes. a British film, there has been some consternation about that, and if you look at, at all the nominations, there is a lot of American stuff on there, and I'm not saying that it's mm. not it's not deserved because I think it is. I mean, you know. Things like Birdman being on there and, and the Grand Budapest Hotel and, and Boyhood, which I'm yet to see, or I can't wait. You know, a, mm. a lot of these films, Gone Girl, you know, a lot of them deserve to be on there, but it's it's <clears throat> it's a bit of a shame that our own film awards are, are neglecting a little bit of the British talent, in a way. Yeah, well, they're obviously the bottom two, both Imitation Game and Fury of Everything, um, are both British. But I think yeah, Mr. Turner is probably the, the big one that's been missed off all yeah. the lists. Um, outside of British film, we've got 71, uh, Imitation Game. Paddington, which is brilliant, Pride, Fury of Everything, and Under the Skin, which I think probably is the one I would have dropped for mm. Mr. Turner. I know you really enjoyed it, but oh, that's probably if, the one I would have dropped. If I can just put a second, I've seen a lot of people say that Paddington's really good. Mm. Now, mm. I remember seeing the, the, the trailer mm. where it basically yeah. destroys that bathroom, and mm. I thought it looked absolutely horrid. Mm. So, the trailer wasn't strong, now I'll admit. I'm, I'm assuming it's a lot better than the trailer suggests. Mm, yeah. Because I saw yeah. the trailer and I, and I was thinking it's just going to be. It's apparently nice. excellent. And I've had more than one person say that to me. That it, yeah, yeah. it's really, really good. Okay. Yeah. I, I do agree with you, though, Dan, about under the skin in the sense that I'm not. I'm, that is very, very, very. That's just on the edge of a British film for me, in a way, because it's got a major mm. American star in it. It, it was filmed a lot obviously in Scotland and everything but I don't know it, to me that, that was marketed more as an American kind of thing so I, I, I don't know if yeah, I, put I, it yeah, in there I, it, yeah it was, it was filmed in this country wasn't it, oh. it but um, no I'm surprised it's considered but, overly British yeah. um, but there you go but yeah, just said. It's, overall though I think on the whole I think they've got it right really with a lot of the nominations yeah. ok so with that we should move on to our next film which is Taken 3 hey Manny. Good to see you. You too. Kim's doing okay? Yeah, seems like the usual, Kim. Manny! Manny? Sir, back away now! I didn't do this. Put your hands up! Now! Suspect's name, Brian Mills. 21, he joins the army. At 23, he joins the special forces. He's a trained sniper. An explosives expert. No service record, no discharge record, nothing. This guy right here, he knows how to disappear. Listen carefully, Kim. Something terrible has happened to your mom. Dad, what's going on? Don't trust anyone. If you don't know what this is about, it's Liam Neeson <laughs> acting hard yet again um, in a role that he's never—he hasn't been done—he hasn't done for 
three months. Um, <laughs> he, he plays ex-government operative Brian Mills when he's accused of a ruthless murder he had never committed or witnessed. As he's trapped and pursued, Mills brings out his particular set of skills to try and find the true killer and clear his name. Can I just point out that Matt is reading this from the IMDb page, <laughs> which is why it's so <laughs> it's, seamless. It's, yeah, it is, it is funny that we've just I'm talked about host, Birdman and about the fact that, that he was obviously, his dilemma is, does he make another Birdman film? This has got to surely be Liam Neeson's dilemma, is do I make a fourth? <laughs> taken for granted, taken, we caught, we caught up with yeah. you earlier, we were taken for granted, what was the, what was the, what was the Take, news? Taken for a ride. Taken for a ride. Taking the piss. The, yeah, taking, <laughs> taking the piss is, is easily what this should have been called. The problem now with guys, uh, I, just to go back, I, I, we were talking about this earlier, me and Matt. Now, I, I personally think Taken, the first Taken, is very good. I think it's very good at what it does. I think it, it basically. <laughs> it's overrated pile of it's a You're not the only one to say that, in fairness, but for me, know. it's a pulp B movie action thriller which has a very simple premise. It's a bit retro. It's got Liam Neeson in his first role, reinventing his career as a hard man. And it works in that. You know, it works. Yeah. You know, he's, he's it's unexpected. You don't expect Liam... You expect Liam Neeson to go in there with some sort of treaty and, and, and calmly talk about it with someone, with that element of gravitas. But then when he goes in there and, and basically bashes a man's head off a sink, you're like, what? what? I'll this take is, over that. I didn't remember Michael <laughs> Collins doing this. You know, it's like... Um, you had more would have been a quicker fight. Yeah, you know, this is a man who played Qui Gon Jinn, who basically just did Buddhism for two hours. You know, it's like you, you had a gnome that was released. I think it was at the same year or around the same time, which you know managed to luckily be preserved as a decent film because they didn't make lots of sequels. And I think this is actually it's actually damaging Taken's you know reputation, the original reputation of the original film, it is. because they keep making ridiculous sequels it is the, the second one taken to the cleaners was yep. uh, <laughs> the second one was you know it wasn't as bad as this one but it, it was you know it just took the same formula tried to flip it on its head so in the first one obviously it was it was Brian Mills going to Europe because his daughter gets kidnapped by evil um, Parisian perverts to be sold in the black market who are involved in girls dying in, in all these kind of places and it actually had some kind of comment basically on mm. the whole idea of a black market of trafficking in Europe you know um, Bulgarians coming around and selling to these czars and everything like that kind of like an under, undercurrent of something you know and then it had this pulp action stuff over the top and it was brief it was clicked it worked and Lee Neeson was awesome the second one flips on its head so it's more about the family and there's 30 minutes of them trying to reconnect with the family and Famke Janssen comes in not doing much just looking pretty for her age and then you've got Maggie Grace just there throwing grenades out of a van for no fucking reason whatsoever and it's just it's just that right okay. in Istanbul right? I'm going to do this whole review as Liam Neeson now okay? oh, right? do, yeah. right? and so it's like it's just, then it was just like okay this just isn't as fun this time you know and the idea of no, sorry. Uh, the idea is that he gets taken. He gets taken in the in the second one. You think, okay, all right, someone's being taken, all right. Partly the audience for for a ride, as we say, but it, it, you know, but the premise is still not as good as the first time round, and you're left thinking, oh, okay. This one, however, obviously, of course, the first one made a ton of money. The second one then made a ton of money, even though it wasn't very good, and everyone said it wasn't very good. But and at the and time, even, and even um, apparently on the twenty eighth of September, two thousand and twelve. Liam Neeson was quoted to saying there will not be a Taken 3. Yes, you just headed off my point. Thank you, IMDb Facts, right? You just headed off my point. That's exactly what he said. He said there won't be a Taken 3, but I can't imagine a scenario where this would happen again. Really, Liam? Because nor could we, right? <laughs> However, the audience went to see it in droves, and obviously Hollywood studios know a good thing when they see it, and they made another one. And they talked him back into it and said, Liam, we'll give you $20 million 
and you can just turn up, do that for three hours, and then you're fine, right? And he's gone. Um, okay. Tw- yeah. Okay. Twenty million dollars. Okay. Right. He's took the yeah. money. He's took the money and it, literally it's, ran. <laughs> right. Okay. It's, it's taken. It's taken forty million dollars. Yeah. In its opening weekend in America. Yeah. Right. That's just the reason ridiculous. why. The reason why is a. It's come out in a week where it's come out in a month. In fact, where a lot of the stuff in the cinemas is isn't this pulp action bollocks. It's actually yeah, it's, proper it's, it's a bit more highbrow, isn't it? A lot yeah. Of content, so you know your middle American corn dog eating guy isn't going to want to go and see Foxcatcher. He's not going to want to go and see Whiplash. No. Right. He's going to want to go and see something where things explode and things do explode in Taken. You know there are guns, there are fights, there are you know um, it, women in skimpy things. You know it's it's got all that to an extent. Okay. Well, it does have all that actually. It's got really one-dimensional gangsters. It's got everything that somebody wants for a dumb action thriller. Now, dumb action thrillers can be fine. Okay? Yeah. I've seen enough of them. I like quite a few of them. You could say Taken itself is a dumb action thriller. It is. Okay, the mm. first one. But it does well. It works well. This, right? The bit. Well, that, that's the first problem is nobody gets taken. <laughs> nobody gets taken in this film. It's all they did was go. Luke Besson and Robert Mark Carmen, who wrote the first two, right, sat down with Olivia, Olivier Megaton, which is the most hilarious name ever, because why he's not called Megatron, I don't know, right? Okay. <laughs> or Metatron. Okay? Particularly when you're in, 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 in an industry where it's... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Acceptable to lie about your name. <laughs> exactly, right? But Besson and Mark Carmen, who are bonkers themselves, because they made Lucy last year, and Lucy is off its face in terms of yeah. nuts okay right so Luke Besson's always been crazy anyway right but he actually can make good stuff he made Leon and all these things and the fifth element mm-hmm. and so he's done stuff good stuff in the past but he wrote this and they, they sat down with Megatron and said right uh, we, what, what films do we like and they've gone we quite like The Fugitive and they've gone <laughs> shall we do The Fugitive okay let's do The Fugitive but have it just taken Liam Neeson hello Olivier Megatron right would you like to do uh, Taken 3 as The Fugitive how much are you going to pay me? Uh, $20 million. Why the fuck not? Okay, I've got nothing else to do. That was what... That's, that, that's the conversation, okay? Yeah. That's what happened. That's a quite fact, right? Refute me, okay? Well, that, what you just heard was an actual audio recording. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
that the news of the world found. Right, exactly. <laughs> so they, they, they've done that, they've wrote the fugitive is taken. All that happens is he goes on the run, his wife is killed, spoiler, Frankie Hansen dies, so if you're going to watch her, tough shit, she's in one scene. She dies. Well, she gets she gets killed in the trailer. Yeah, well, right, okay. Well, the trailer tells you the whole film. Anyway, as yeah, usual, awesome. these things. three minutes of my life I might have to waste. Exactly, so yeah. yeah. That's all you need to waste, right? You don't have to go into the thing. And then it's just him on the run, right, after like 20 minutes of boring family stuff. You know, Maggie Grace acting, to be fair, she acts more towards her age this time instead of like a little willowy girl she's about 30 odd anyway so he goes on the run and then he, he has to basically clear his own name because we know he didn't do it obviously he didn't do it and the people who did do it are blatantly obvious from the very beginning because you know exactly who really is behind it and I won't spoil it although to be quite honest if you don't guess it then you've had lobotomy like the writers <laughs> it's just it's just I, I, was in, I, was in a, I was in a cinema in Telford I don't know if you've ever been to the metropolis that is Telford right but it has a cine world with an IMAX. And because I, of the timing of going home and things, I went to the IMAX to watch it. And I went to this beautiful IMAX and this beautiful cine world. And I sat there in this beautiful seat. And I enjoyed the seat more than anything in the film. I was sitting there going, I quite like these seats. <laughs> I kept looking at the seats. Right, this guy, he's so lovely. Am I buying one of Beautiful seats. How much did you buy a replica of your seat? Right, yeah. And it took the, and the slow lighting time of the phone. I did keep checking my phone, <laughs> and, and this and this and it's, it's just it's just crap. It's just action scene after action, incomprehensible action scene. I mean, you know, the second one wasn't very good for this, but this has the worst car chase I've ever seen in my living memory. It, the editing, it's like a bipolar crystal meth addict, right? It's every two seconds it's a cut, right? And then you know the, the car cut, jerky camera. It, 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 it makes the Bourne films look like they're on Valium, okay? <laughs> It's just like it, 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 it just, it's just ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous, and the plot is obvious. Neeson just doesn't give a shit anymore, and quite frankly, he looks tired. You know, much as he's all, much as he's always quite cool, and he's always got a bit of gravitas. He looks tired. The script is, is ridiculous, boring. It, and I love action films. I could watch Liam Neeson kick someone's head in all day. And, you know, not even in a film. I could do it in real life. I'd be happy, right? This dog to the impression of him. I'm God, sure I'll, I'll kick my head in, right? But it's just this for two hours, and you know he's not bothered, and he's taking his money and running, and then by the end, that's, that's, that's the name of the fifth one, isn't he? Taking the money, taking and the money and running. <laughs> taking the money the sixth one is yeah. ta- he's taking yeah. tag tournament. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, I heard, I, heard him, I heard him do an interview on Radio Two, and he just he was given the excuse that he didn't want to spoil the film, <laughs> but it's clear that he just it, it has no real plot. And it doesn't. He couldn't describe it. He was just like, well, it's a bit like the first one, and. A bit like the second one, but it's the third one. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's all it is. It's like the second one, but it's the third one. Just shit. And it, it, it's just one of those films that we know he's going to make a ton of money. It already has. It's going to keep making money because no one else is going to go and see anything else. They're all going to be seduced by Liam Neeson because he still has that kind of leading man pull for action films because he's made a few. I mean, last, last year he made Non-Stop, which was quite good. Yeah. Right? You know, and he, he keeps making some, some are good, some are bad. He's in another one. The next one he's doing is, is another one of these, and it's just like not yeah. taken. I'm, I'm a bit worried there that he, that he's he's unfortunately yeah, lost down the bottomless pit of tasteless action films. It's too um, much I, now. Yeah, he is. He, he's get he, he's starting to become. He's gonna. He's in danger of becoming a parody of himself now. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. and it, it's it's a shame because he is he is an Oscar winning actor. You know, this man this man did. Yeah, you've got people like Bruce Willis and Harrison Ford who always trying to keep it fresh. Yeah, you know that you know. He, Bruce keeps going back and doing Die Hard films, but at least he's you know he's, he's doing a bit of something else at the same time to yeah, at least sort of have something. Yeah. But Bruce Willis was never ever 
Liam Neeson level ability. You know, I mean, Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford's a better actor than people give him credit for, but he was never yeah. Liam Neeson ability either. They're not. They're not those guys. Stallone. You know, Statham. They're not Neeson. Neeson yeah. is a genuine thespian, <laughs> and he's, the, the novelty of all this is because he he didn't do that. It's because he inverted it all and he did the Expendables kind of thing, right? And he went in there being this action man with brains and brawn, right? And then you think, this is quite cool because he's, you know, he should off be off making like, you know, adaptations of Shakespeare and all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. In reality, he's it's actually... What, it's what he's got to do, really, isn't it? He's got to go and do a Shakespeare or something just right. to, get, <laughs> to get his cred back. But now it's just becoming, yeah. okay, right, Liam, all you're doing is this now and making comedies with Seth MacFarlane, okay? Mm. You need to stop now. This is your career, yeah. mate. <laughs> so yeah. it's just... It's just bullshit. But it, you, we'll, there'll be a fourth one because he's not ruled it out. Infamously, he was asked because he didn't because he ruled taking three out. He's learnt his lesson this time and he's gone. Yeah. We'll see how it does at the box office because he knows full well it's going to yeah. make a ton of money. And then they're going to come to him and go, Liam, uh, we will give you uh, twenty-five million pounds. We are going to make uh, Taken meets Demolition Man, right? <laughs> <laughs> we will wake you up in the future in twenty-five years and you can hunt. Another man in twenty twenty in twenty forty-five in uh, France. Uh, that's what it'll be. Taken four, the taken, future. T- taken seventeen, based on the Hobbit. If, we, <laughs> if I'm honest, I would watch Taken Demolition Man. <laughs> <laughs> I think I might as well. Now. <laughs> so yeah, well, you, you could just call that. You, you know, Taken the Demolition Man. Take it, yeah. Just call it that. Take yeah. a Man. <laughs> Taken <laughs> to the building site. I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's just crap. Just yeah. don't watch it. That was Taken three. Um, and it's still in the cinema if you should desire to go and watch it. And now we're going to move on to our next one, and Dan's going to take the lead on this. Unbroken. However dark the night, however dim our hopes. Inbound, four o'clock, whoa. Always follow darkness. Keep going the way you're going, you end up as a bum on the street. You train. You fight harder than those other guys, and you win. You can take it, you can make it. You can do this, Luke. You just gotta believe you can. Pop does. Ma does. I do. Louis, a moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. It's a story about a plane fighter in World War II who crashes down near a Japanese Navy boat and then sent to a prisoner of war camp. Unbroken, obviously, famously uh, the Angelina Jolie-directed film, uh, written by the Coen brothers. It's, it, it's a film that you don't expect Angelina Jolie to do, really. It's a kind of cross between uh, watching his story as he develops as an Olympian, and then it cuts into uh, World War II scenes, uh, where you, you, know, you, you see him fighting on the front line, as it were, but it, it's the, in, in, in a plane. <laughs> And it's good, but unfortunately, I think it suffers from the Olympian side of things. For me, it was a little bit more interesting than some of the World War II-related content, because it does kind of feel like we've seen it all before. It is based on a true story, based on uh, that of American Olympian Louis Zamperini, 
And strangely, they've got cast in the role uh, Jack O'Connell, famous for, uh, you've already mentioned it, Skins. Yeah. And also, uh, it's another Brit that's been cast in the kind of secondary role, uh, Dominical Gleeson. He's the son mm. of um, Brendan Gleeson, who you might know from the Harry Potter films. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. He's a yeah, yeah, he was in Deathly Hallows and um, About Time, uh, Frank, that's a true Brit as well. But it's just a bit bizarre that a film based on the American army and American fighters has got two British leads. I'm not completely convinced by O'Connell's accent, but ultimately you can forgive that because he does give a fantastic performance as uh, the lead character, Sam Brini, and you, you, you see how his inner strength wins over in the end, and, uh, spoiler alert, he makes it. And it's it's quite bittersweet, really, because um, Zamprini himself died last year after having gone through uh, 47 days in a raft in the middle of the ocean to then being held in a Japanese um, camp um, for, I'm assuming, a very long time as well, um, and enduring hideous um, ordeals and torture, as well as obviously being worked to the bone. He makes it in the end, and kind of nice that he died of old age last year, as I said. You guys haven't seen it, but did you hear anything about it? I've not really been that familiar about it at all, and the only thing I know about it is that Angelina Jolie did a Derby accent <laughs> because of like working with Jack O'Connell. Was... Dar- oh, from yeah, Derby? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jack O'Connell is from Derby, and like, he's yeah. like, I hope we don't. He's a, he's a dark, he's, he's made, oh, okay. I didn't know that. from um, Derby, yeah. and then um, Angelina Jolie kept in the ward um, about a few months ago or something, and pretty much downdropped Jack Connell, and that's <laughs> indeed a Derby accent. Me, oh, I heard about that. I didn't hear about that. Yeah. I think for me, one of the big things I, I heard about is how close she became to Zamparini before he died. And that mm. she, because uh, she could talk with him a lot. You know, I think I think a big thing about that was that she, you, he became a very close friend apparently to Angelina Jolie over, over the time. And the interesting thing about her and this, you know, is that she she's really trying to carve herself more of a niche as a director now, which. Oddly enough, she said before she feels more at home behind the camera directing than she does in front of the camera, which is ironic given she's one of the you know major star golden stars of our age in terms of you know beauty and yeah, yeah. I- icon iconic. You know she's like an Elizabeth Taylor of of the modern age, in kind of. Yes. And if she ever ever manages to make that Cleopatra bar pick, which she keeps wanting to do, she really will be. But it's like it's it's interesting how she she's more interested in in being behind the lens, and and I think it's helping Angelina's cred by actually doing films like this. Now, whether or not the film is any good mm. is another matter, really. I mean, you'll know that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is a good film. Uh, I saw two this... Well, three this week, actually. I saw Birdman, I saw The Imitation Game, and I saw this. And it was probably my least favourite, but that's not to say it wasn't a good film. Mm. You know, as I said, O'Connell gives a brilliant performance, and, and Gleeson in, him, himself as well is, is very good. It, I, I just, just at times, there was some stuff that I felt would maybe a little bit comical and perhaps shouldn't have been. There's a very, shall we say, camp Japanese um, army general who, who for, for whatever reason, takes a shine to O'Connell's character. Not the kind of shine that um, means that he's giving him um, an easy ride. In fact, mm. it's quite the opposite. And uh, a, a little factoid that you get at the end is that he's actually was the only captor uh, that refused to meet Zambrini, really, return to. Uh, Japan to basically 
forgive, as it were, the people that made his life hell for, for the time that he was in that camp. And I don't know, the performance was just... I don't know, maybe that's that's exactly what he was like, but to me, just it just it felt a bit weird. And the, the guy was just a bit... I don't know, for me, he wasn't threatening, particularly. And, in fact, there were times where I thought he was quite amusing and he probably shouldn't have been. Mm. And it was that, for me, was the... the the least interesting part the time he was in the camp which I I think was probably supposed to be the most interesting part for me was the weakest the the Olympian side of things um, him training and, and, and developing and, and racing in the uh, I think it was the 500 metres but it might have been the 1500 metres uh, at, at the Olympics in Germany that that side of the story was the most interesting part for me and kind of his relationship with his brother and and, and you know those elements were stronger for me than the Japanese side. The raft side was interesting, but it, I did feel like I'd seen it last year um, in a uh, Robert Rodriguez film. I can't remember the title of it now, which basically was just which took place with Robert Rodriguez out in the middle of nowhere in 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 the sea in this raft, as it were. And I kind of felt like I'd seen that before Ooh. in that film. Give it, it was a different take, obviously, because it was it was based in World War Two, but. I'm not sure what film that was actually. Robert, Robert Rodriguez. No, not Robert Rodriguez. Robert Redford. Whoops. Oh, I was going to say all he's lost. <laughs> <laughs> all this they're very similar. They're very similar people. people. <laughs> you know, it's easy to get them mixed up. Yeah. Yes, all he's lost. Where he was, he was, which is I haven't seen, but was critically acclaimed. Yeah. But I don't know. Broke. It struck me unbroken as as being a very much a a story that could have been really powerful, but could also be something that's it was an unknown quantity for me but um, it's good to hear that it, it works you know on that yeah. level yeah as I said there were just elements that, that I didn't enjoy and I thought I, felt like I said it before I said it for Birdman but I just felt again it's just a little bit too long and I, I, I think that's a, a criticism a lot of people are making these days is that you know some films are just ever so slightly too long um, this one runs uh, I think it's about 140 minutes mm. in total so it's you know it's over that two hour threshold and for some you know some people tend to lose interest if it's any longer than you know kind of an hour and a half so and, you know I wouldn't have said it should be that short but I, you know I would say it was perhaps 20 minutes too long so overall you said it, you mentioned that it was not <coughs> it's probably the film you enjoyed the least out of all the ones you've seen this week this week yeah but you, you, I, I you haven't seen Taken. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, yeah. Uh, well, I didn't see that one, luckily. So, um, but yeah, out of the three films that I saw this week, yeah. um, that was that was definitely the weakest. But you know, I I think it probably will get some traction at the Oscars, so it probably is one yeah. that's worth seeing. That was Angelina Jolie's Unbroken, and that's still the cinemas for next week as well. And we're going to wrap. We're going to wrap up with our final review, which is one that. Meantime, you saw about nearly two hours, finished seeing about two hours ago. Um, the theory of everything. Come on, get up. Morning, guys. Stephen, are you aware that you voluntarily embarked upon a PhD in physics? Hello. Hello. Science. Arts. I'm a cosmologist. What's that? I study the marriage of space and time. The perfect couple. One never knows from where the next great leap forward is going to come, or from whom. What if I reverse time to see what happened at the beginning of time itself? Wind back the clock. 
Wind back the clock. Keep going. I don't know how. Yet. Keep winding. Where's he? It's um, a biopic or biopic or whatever it's Why is it you can never say words normally? <laughs> it's every time. It's biopic. What was the, oh, I thought about biopic. this the other day. It's, it's biopic. biopic. What was the one you said a few years ago? Premise. That was it. Instead of premise, it was premise. premise. What's the premise? <laughs> What's a premise? Not even Americans say premise. Shut up. <laughs> I'm still the host. Did, I did it help by saying you know, biographical film? <laughs> <laughs> it's, the thing is, what I always said it was a biopic until I heard Mark Mode mention a biopic, and then my brain is confused. Mm. Well, maybe he's wrong, although he's never wrong. So let's start again. This isn't getting caught. I- I'm in charge of the cut of this. This is in. This is staying in. The host should inject to eject <laughs> you from your own podcast. That, that yeah. could be a special downloadable feature. Yes, it <laughs> yeah. will be outtakes. <laughs> no, we'll have to have a live podcast where every listener has the ability to eject to seat up into the roof. <laughs> <laughs> The Theory of Everything, it's the biopic about Stephen Hawking, based on a book by Jane Hawking. It basically chronicles Stephen Hawking's marriage to Jane, I can't remember her name, but uh, and pretty much the first stages of his motor neuro disease that he had, and leading up to writing the book The Theory of Time. Um, it stars Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, Eddie Redmayne, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, well, he's terrified now. He's getting he's getting names wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Eddie Redrain. Eddie uh, Redrain, <laughs> starring Eddie Redrain and um, Velocity Jahez. <laughs> Just purposely getting yeah. Hones. Yeah, Hones. Felicidad Hones. And Harry and Harry Little as well. But no, it stars um, Eddie Redmayne as the title, well, the title character is as Stephen Hawking, who mm. now is like one of the smartest people to in our lifetime. Lisa mm. um, Jones plays his wife Jane, and it's pretty much the story between those two. Mm. Few blinking and missing famous people, mm. famous British acting aristocracy that you see mm. in the background. But it's pretty much a two-hander mm. between the two of them. It's a very, very sweet film. It's not. It's not as tear jerking as I expected it was going to be. Mm. It's actually very uplifting. Mm. Um, it, it does. It, it does help by the fact that you know that you pretty much everyone who sees it will know who Stephen Hawking is. So mm. it pretty much has that working towards it as well. Very sweet and romantic as well. Very romantic. I mm. realised how romantic it was, mm. and actually quite funny in quite a few places. Mm. Mm. The thing is about this is that when, when you go into a film about Stephen Hawking and, the, and a biopic, biopic, bi, biopic, bi, bi-pic, I don't know, <laughs> when you, a biopic, a biopic. When you go into something like this about Stephen Hawking, you know, you have a preconceived image of Stephen Hawking in your mind now. You know, everyone does. It's the man in the wheelchair, mm. the motorized voice. It's that. It's that whole thing that people immediately think of. And you know, it's it's weird, in fact, watching this and coming into it where Eddie Redmayne is playing a guy who can walk, who can talk. You know, who seems to be of he's certainly of sound mind because he's a genius, and then there is no doubt about this film that he is a genius. You know, that is one thing that they're at pains to remind us of without being over over, over the top that he is a, he is a, one of the greatest minds has ever lived, and certainly one of the greatest minds of the twentieth century. But it's this tragedy that you know is coming. It, it underlays the whole thing. You know, this this yeah. idea that you know we know what the man's going to end up as, yeah. but at the same time. 
it's it is really uplifting because as we know Stephen Hawking he's still alive he's 72 now he had he was given the diagnosis of two years after he got after the motor neuron was yeah. was diagnosed in and something like 1960 yeah mid mid 60s so you know he's lived for 50 years more than he should have done which is truly remarkable you know and it's it's it starts off with a, with a man who he's you know he's got everything in front of him you know he's he's got this the, these brilliant ideas. He's, he's he's already quite a legendary physicist in many ways with his peers because they they recognise in him that they don't have these things. Yeah. Then he meets Felicity Jones, um, Jane, who immediately is drawn to him by his intellect and by his 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 kindness and his humour because he's very funny, you know. And he's yeah. mm. without being overly funny, he's got that dry sense of humour. So she's drawn to him anyway. She sees that in him, and it's all going fine. You know, it's all going great. And then steadily we start to see that he's got this. This, this this disease and it starts to then de- you know go down that road but the, what it could have been was very grim what it could have been was very dour what it could have been was very crushing but it's not and that's probably the biggest surprise of this like you said it's very romantic it is, it is all about their relationship she is the reason that he carries on she's the reason that he keeps living you know because she's got such faith in him and she's determined to keep him alive partly because of his intellect but also because she loves him Yeah. but then at the same time, it charts the difficulty that she has, and, and you know, I mean, the biggest thing to say is that the two performances are outstanding. Oh, I mean, amazing. Felicity Jones herself has a difficult role because she's the wife, and she's very much torn between her duty to to Stephen Hawking and, and her love for him, and also her desire for a normal life. And it's it's a very complex role that you perhaps don't realise as you're watching it until you perhaps think about afterwards that the amount of stuff that happened. <laughs> The stuff that happens with her, it's you don't actually appreciate how much he mm. either sacrificed or yeah, sacrificed definitely. Sacrificed to be with Stephen Hawking. Mm. And, um, have, have you seen the um, uh, other Hawking films? Uh, um, there was one in 2004, which was the Benedict Cumberbatch uh, BBC version. No, we talked um, about this earlier, didn't we? Well, I, no, I, 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 th- I can't. I'm sure I have memories of. Um, of Cumberbatch yeah mm. then again that was yeah. 2004 it was a BBC, BBC 2 an hour and a half one off special I think yeah I, I, I vaguely I, remember it I didn't watch it but I vaguely remember seeing it trailered yeah it was a while mm. ago but, um, yeah I think that one was a lot more um, the, the tone of it was a lot sadder I think mm. than, than than obviously your account of this one and that one did track you know his, his his difficulties and his troubles a lot more. It was more about him, whereas this one sounds actually a lot more about her and it, her. It, this, it kind of is. Vision of it. This kind of is bit, really. I think well, it kind of starts off with Stephen Hawking's at first. Then the kind of mm. I think as it's it's no spoiler to say that um, Stephen Hawking starts to lose the ability to speak. Mm. When that happens, that happens around there. He's, he's still communicating, which should be. Mm. But when that time when he gets harder for him to speak, that's when the the film starts to shift mm. and the focus slowly starts to realign itself mm. with yeah. Jane and Lister Jones. And it's you can, it's noticeable, but it still feels as part of the whole story. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it's more or less about the both of them, but it's not just about him; it's about her as well. In a way, it's about him from her perspective. A lot of yes, yeah. you know. Well, to, to, be, to be fair, it's based on her book. It exactly, it? So... and it's kind of an account because the the reason of that and the reason that works is because obviously you know he can he can communicate, but in many ways he can't communicate in the same way that he could if it was a biopic of someone who could speak, who could walk, who could mm. talk. 
there's a difference with how he communicates in that even with his voice machine he can't communicate like I'm speaking now or like Matt's speaking or you're speaking no. Dan so to actually do that for all those years where he couldn't talk and he was in that wheelchair from his perspective alone he's very hard to do because mm. and like you say the book is Jane's so it, it, it's almost like you are right there is that shift about it being her life but in a way it does feel like it's her story about mm. Stephen's you know, life and that's why you know, it takes place not completely over his entire 50 year lifespan it takes place over say roughly around 20 years mm-hmm. and um, there are reasons for that which you know I won't say specifically but if you know the history of Stephen Hawking you'll kind of know why but the, the, it's interesting you mentioned the other, the other version because I said to you Matt didn't I about how I'm sure Cumberbatch played this role because we, we were talking about how and this brings me on to what I was going to say about Eddie Redmayne because his performance is extraordinary. It's remarkable. It's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And he, he captures Stephen Hawking in a truly... He manifests Stephen Hawking yeah. every, in every way. And it, the, the, the bit... I, the, what I was quite surprised of is that the motile neuron disease and Stephen Hawking in general, it could be so easy to feel bad taste mm. yeah. or very uncomfortable to watch. It, but it's, it goes nowhere near that. Mm. It's nowhere near as uncomfortable as you could fear it could be Mm. it it doesn't feel as insulting it it looks like you are actually watching someone go through that and the the transformation that um, Eddie Redmayne seems to go through Mm. and it it's just it's one of those things you can't really explain it you just yeah it's got to be seen it's it's phenomenal it's he, he deserves to win some kind of award in some way and it's you know the interesting thing about it is that he actually did a massive amount of research for Stephen about Stephen Hawking in the months leading up when he got the part, and you know he, he was really pushing for the part, and he got the part, and then he did a lot of research, and he met Stephen Hawking about two, two or three days before he started filming, and uh, he said, and there's, there's an interview where he says he just gabbled lots of facts about Stephen Hawking to Stephen Hawking and felt like a right idiot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking at the trivia bit on IMDb. Apparently, in the three hours I spent with him, he said maybe eight sentences. Mm, yeah, and he just carried on talking, and then mm. it's interesting because then apparently Stephen Hawking saw the finished product when it had been cut together and he loved it so much that he actually licensed his voice technology for them to use so in the film it's actually his it's copyright his voice technology is copyright so he yeah. actually licensed that for them to use in the film which adds that authenticity and he was yeah. very fond of the final outcome and fond of Redmayne's performance because he does encapsulate Stephen Hawking and as, yeah. as I was going to say that one of the big things about Eddie Redmayne is he's not a household name because he no. hasn't had that Cumberbatch-style role yet. He hasn't had the, the Sherlock or the Khan or something to stratosphere him. Whereas yeah. this, I'm not sure it will stratosphere him because it, it, at the end of the day, it still is a British yeah. you know, independent. independent film about a very niche... It's not a mega-swat mega film by any means, but it's, it's a critical darling. But and it, it could, could lead... It could, yeah, and it could be his stepping stone for yeah. that. Yeah, because, but, and, and like Cumberbatch, he, he could balance a career that's genuinely... You know, talented and yeah. with genuine ability. Yeah. With well, well I, I, I saw him in Les Mis and I was very surprised that that didn't, you know, be, wasn't the stepping stone for him I because he was, he was probably the standout performance from that as well. I don't um, think I've seen him in anything else actually. Well, the, 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 one of the biggest things he was in probably over the last couple of years was my week with my week with Marilyn, which was which was a yes. film about Marilyn Monroe, and, and he played yeah. a, a guy who has quite a normal guy who has a relationship with Marilyn Monroe. But it wasn't a major film. Michelle Williams was Marilyn Monroe in that. It was, I think I know that one. Yeah, but he hasn't had... And he's in Jupiter Ascending next month, which is the new Wachowski Brothers one, which has been delayed yeah. a lot. Oh, and, so many times. Yeah, yeah and, it, and I've seen the trailer with him in, and he he doesn't... 
he doesn't seem nearly as good in that as in this. <laughs> but but we'll see. But it, it, those kind of films, again, it's not a major part. So that is more is more than likely not going to stratosphere him either. But he's one of these guys who deserves the credits that he gets because mm. it's his performance that really, really makes this work. And it, 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 you know, there's, there's a lot of other things. I mean, just to, to say, there's not a lot of credit for the people behind the scenes as well. I mean, it's really well written. It's really well put together. It has this real through line of, of romance. It has this real through line of being very contained between the two of them. It, it did kind of... Fit. I, I was taken aback at one point. Mm. I was like, quite... It's quite... It's, it's moving. Very powerful. It's, it's very, very powerful. It's very powerful. It's moving. It's also funny, as you said earlier, because yeah. it does have that dry wit. Because Hawking's a very funny guy. You know, some of the stuff he comes out with, he's very self-deprecating. He's very... He takes some of the tragedy in a kind of humorous way, and he, he deals with it in yeah. that way to some extent. But it's, and he's it's still got a sense of humour, and there's like, and there's always a few odd moments where it's the same. It's you can still see the same guy when he was like, in the yeah, 1900s. when he can walk and he can he can do stuff like that, definitely. But then there's also these ongoing motifs as well, because there is obviously the scientific backbone about it all, about his theory of which led him to write a brief history of time and, and his books, and this you know this theory of of black holes and about time. Where where basically the the whole idea of the of the title is that he's trying to find the theory of everything. And he's trying to put kind of a, a an understanding of the universe, and it, it's the whole relationship with him and Jane in a way is a microcosm of that because it's it, it in the end he realizes that he can't kind of define it, you know, in any like he can't fully define the universe. He ends up going back on his original theory, which he presents in Cambridge, like in 1963, and there is this ongoing motif about time being a kind of causal in a loop. There's a lot of circles in the film. There's a lot of circles on. He moves in circles in his wheelchair. You know, the circles are drawn as black holes on a chalkboard. Yeah. There's a big motif about that, and it's it's all part of the underlying idea that that time is a big force in this. And there's a final shot at the end, which kind of underlines that, which you really love, didn't you? And it's you know, it's 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 good. There's a, there's a few things going on, and it's you know, so it's not just a character piece, but when it is a character piece, it's a wonderful character. Yeah, piece. I just have to point out with Eddie Redmayne, Felicity Jones is still brewing with a swing. Yeah, Swing. Swing. Yeah. I've been a fan of Mr. Jones for a while. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, Don't yeah. say. Oh, she's a local lass. She's from Birmingham. Born is she? Yeah. She's Bourneville. not from Bourneville. Bourneville. She really? Yeah, Bourneville lass. Okay. No, but, I mean, yeah, she takes a, what could have been like a fantasy, mm. um, antagonistic role, but it mm. really isn't, and adds a mm. lot of emotional weight to the choices that mm. happen, and, mm. and you kind of believe it. Mm. Kind of like believe, it's very believable. What, what did it, it's believable because it did actually, yeah. it actually happened because it's a true yeah. story. It's a true story, and that's I think why it's so powerful and why you know we were quite moved by it because yeah. it is real and it, and it does it did happen. And this man is such a he's such a, a hero in many ways for what yeah. he's gone through. And, and if ever there was a life affirming story, it's something yeah. like this because if he can live a full life with children and be a genius and have a career like he has with what he's gone through with how difficult yeah. his life has been then people should stop and think I about think, how lucky yeah. they are <laughs> I think one of the things that's going to make me I'm going to have to see if I can check out some of Eddie Redmayne's early stuff mm, mm. and probably watch a few Christy Jones' early stuff as well yeah definitely yeah. And, and Dan I reckon we recommend this to you yeah no, I probably early. will definitely go and see it next week the one I had on my list so. yeah it's, it's, I think you'll really enjoy it very good and it's still going on till this week. Wasn't sure it was going to actually stay mm. on for another week, but I think it's actually doing better than people expected. Because the Sabrina we went to, 
It's a lot more. It was people. quite full. It was quite full. Mm. It wasn't packed, but it was a lot yeah, more people I, than I was expecting to be in there. Yeah. Well, I, I actually fully expected to 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 run until the end of the month in in a lot of places, uh, particularly the big the big cinemas. And I know Picture House. I think I think they they're they're generally holding it next week and probably the week after. I think well. word of mouth is. I think it is. Well. I mean, you, you know about this, Dad, because you obviously work in a cinema, or you did work yeah. in You still do, don't you? Yes, yeah. So, you know... You yeah, well, it's, it's, it's the things about, um, obviously, these kind of Oscar... I hate calling them Oscar bait films, because mm. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really agree with that term, but they do also tend to get a second wind. Mm. Um, the, the, the nearer you get to the Oscars, actually, in some cases, particularly for the ones that are very good, yeah. yeah, the audience figures come back, um, and that's why they tend to hang around a lot longer than films like the, you know films of this style. You know, the more highbrow films um, yeah. would at any other time of the year, whereas usually you know they would probably come on for two or three weeks and then disappear. Yeah. So we, that coupled that that coupled with the when well, this is Oscar Bay, but that coupled with yeah. the word of mouth, I think yeah, it could mean it runs a bit more, and it's it's already you know made double its budget because it wasn't it didn't cost very much, so it's. Mm, it's good because it, it deserves to be seen. It is it is one of the better bio bio biop biop bio biopics, <laughs> or filmographical, filmographical pieces of art yeah. <laughs> that, that has been done in a while. It's a representation of truth. It is pretentious, <laughs> <laughs> pretentious phrase of the day. Yeah, and I never thought it'd be for me. <laughs> so and with that um, and the looming prospect of work in the morning mm. on a Sunday evening mm. Um, mm. we're going to have to bid you bid this podcast adieu 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 bonjour and from our fray and... <laughs> stop <laughs> quoting only fools and horses Matthew <laughs> bonjour okay, um, it's, it's a film podcast not a TV yes <laughs> yes we will, we will have to wrap this up um, so you're going to wrap don't wrap we've told you about this before mm. I can't help it it's it's, it's who you are. It's who I am. You're it comes from in me. You're suppressing my artistic license to be me. Pretentious again. This is worrying. I didn't make the whole thing for about an hour and a half. Okay. Um, but yes, um, if you're still listening by this point, we thank you for listening. Why are you still listening? What's wrong with you? Don't you have lives? <laughs> but thanks. Yeah. It yes. is Sunday. <laughs> and with that nice words from Tony Black, we hope you join the next edition. Fat chance. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes, um, thank you for listening. I'll say a big thank you to Dan Taylor. Thank you very much. Thanks, Dan. I'll no say problem. a big thank you to the man in the chair, Mr. Black. Pleasure as always. And a big thank you for the guy who hosted it, Mr. Matthew Layden. Yes, thanks, Layden. You've done yeah, a grand well job. Yeah. Thank yes. you. Thank you. So, with that, it's a goodbye from these. Bye. Bye bye. And it's a goodbye from me. <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.